So, as we, as we know, last week we came to the end of the Desert and the Parched Lands series, and um, we're now starting a new series. It's going to go on for um, uh, five weeks, and um, unbelievably, at the end of this series, we actually get to Palm Sunday, which is quite terrifying, really. It feels like we've only just taken the Christmas tree down, doesn't it? But um, yeah, these things come around, and we will soon be there. But this, this series that we're going on, I just want to... I just want to um, put a couple of caveats in place. Um, you can see it's called the Bank of Heaven. And yes, we're going to be talking about money. But we're also going to be talking about other things as well, other things of value, other gifts. But the reason I wanted to flag that up at the start is because money is one of those subjects that we don't like talking about. We don't like talking about it. And yet, Jesus spoke about money more than any other subject. Jesus loved talking about money. Other people didn't always like hearing it, and that hasn't changed. But it's important. If it was important to Jesus, it's important to us, and it's important that we're not scared to talk about money and to talk about our attitudes to money and to talk about how we use our money, what it means for us. And so I just wanted to be completely upfront from the start. There will be a sermon in this series that is about giving to the church. It's not going to be a holding out a tray saying, come on, cough up. But it is going to be talking about giving to the church. So if anyone thinks they might be upset by that or not like that, then I would absolutely insist that you come along on that Sunday. <laughs> and if during this, this series, you, if you don't normally get... Um, riled up by, by a sermon and you suddenly find in this series that you are, before you come and bang on my door and bah, 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 which none of you do but you know there's always the off chance but before that happens can I just say this I've noticed that often when the subject of money is preached on and it prompts a response and someone wants to go to the, the, the preacher or the minister and, and say oh, I don't agree I don't like that then often the emotional response they've had to the sermon says more about the individual than about what's been said. And so this is a time for maybe self-examination if we feel those things. I'm not saying don't talk to me, of course. I, I, I love feedback. Um, it's important that we have that dialogue, but, but let's, just, let's just be aware that there's a reason that in our culture we don't like to talk about money. It's because it makes us feel uncomfortable. But Jesus was totally comfortable with it because for Jesus, money wasn't the be-all and end-all. And it shouldn't be for us as Christians. But that is easier said than done, isn't it? So, so that's just a couple of caveats out of the way. I feel better having said that. I feel that we're set up and we understand one another and what we're going to be going through for the next few weeks. And I'm looking forward to this series because in the preparation I've done so far, I've learned quite a lot. And I'm hoping that as a church, we, we learn and that God reveals to us through this series something more of what it means to be devoted to him. So the first sermon this morning, interest rates. Now don't worry, it's not going to be a, a lecture on fiscal policy. I, I, I would be incapable of doing that and that's not what, that's not what we're here for. But interest rates in, in terms of the bank of heaven... You see, I've got a question that I'd like to begin with, that I'd like to throw at you. 
And I'm just going to ask you to maybe turn to the person next to you or maybe just um, sit there and think through it yourselves if you don't like them. Then, um, no. <laughs> but the question is this. Do we live in a godless society? Okay, now, of course, the, the, the church answer is, well, no, God's just living and active, and he's right here with... Yeah, 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 absolutely, of course, we, we buy into that 100%. But looking at society, do we feel that we live in a godless society? So just take a, a, a... We'll have a, a, a minute or two, talk to the person next to you, have discussions, and then I'll, um, I'll call us to order when the time is right. Okay. There's a reassuring hubbub of conversation going on, which is always good. Um, anybody just like to volunteer, sort of the, in a nutshell, what, what sort of answers came up? Anyone happy to do that? Helen. Thank you. We said um, sort of a yes and a no. Um, so, the society doesn't accept or acknowledge God, but perhaps other things have been made into God. So, science would be one of the main ones, I think, because uh, the population in general think that science answers everything and science will cure diseases and the thing, sort of replacing God, basically. So, um, we also acknowledge that we live in, in hope, so a lot of people are, are in despair and um, we can attribute uh, God breaking through, but perhaps people don't see that or acknowledge that as being God. Great, thank you. Any more for any more? Chris. Thanks. Well, we were saying that, by and large, it is a godless world. Those people who don't have God in their life at all and freely admit to that and live their lives out, but I think there's also an element of godlessness in the church, where there are people who would proclaim Christ, but their life doesn't live up to it. And sometimes my life is like that, you know, so I can't point the finger at people. So if you add it all up, I think God is in the world, but 
the actions of the world are fairly godless. Great, thank you. Alan and then Rob. I think that uh, statistics for, for Britain is that only 2% are regular churchgoers and 5% come at some time other than the year to celebrate. But um, if that's the statistics, well, we live in a godless society, yes. Mm, interesting. Thank you. So we were just saying about um, common grace and the fact that everybody is created by God and has something of him in them. Um, and so the fact that non-Christians or um, people who believe different things um, still love, still reflect um, the character of God um, in what they do. So while, um, yes, you know, if you're looking at who, who believes what, but actually if you're looking at um, seeing God in society, then yes, I would say that God does get reflected in society in that way. Okay, great, thank you. Thanks. Right, okay, so that's, there's a, a, range of, um, a range of answers there. Some really interesting ideas, and it just goes to show that this is, this is a, a question which probably, you go back 100 years, and I think the answers would have been a lot more along the same lines. I think the answers would have been much more likely to have been, well, no, of course not. We, we, we live in a society where God's on our side. We, we, act, we act for God. Go back 200 years or further, and it absolutely, this question wouldn't even have, it would have been a ridiculous question to ask. It would have been no doubt at all. But we live in a time now where it's a question which is very relevant, and it's a question which many people would say, yeah, we do. We live in a godless society. But actually, that's not a new idea at all. That's not a new idea at all. And this morning, this, this, this sermon this morning, is it's considering value and what, where we, what we put value on. What is the most important thing in life to us? What brings us contentment? Now, Way back in the, um, the third century, there was a philosopher called Epicurus. And Epicureanism was his sort of, the thing he's known for. Well, it would be, he was named after him. And this is the idea. He was saying to his, 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 his society, he was observing in his society, that the attitude of the predominantly Roman society in which he lived was that God or the gods have become distant. They've become disinterested in us. We can kind of lock them in the attic or push them out to the, to the boundaries and we can just focus on relaxing, accumulating just enough wealth to be able to enjoy life, to have a, a nice life. Which, of course, on the surface sounds lovely. Not the, not the bit about God, but the bit about sort of the just relaxing and accumulating enough so that we can enjoy life. You think, okay, well, that's not sort of hedonistic and, and extreme. That sounds sort of reasonable. But what he was saying was, we're in a godless society. What he was saying is that God no longer has any relevance in our society. And he was talking about the Roman gods. Now, some of the Roman gods you, you will be 
aware of, but I've taken three of them. Firstly, Mars. Mars was the Roman god of war. Now, the Romans were still at war, but they'd become a lot more interested in their strategizing and, and uh, the equipment and the tactics of war. And so, Epicureanism suggests that the role of Mars, the role of the god of war, had become less and less important to, to war. Um, so another god you would have heard of probably is Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the god of erotic love. And then there's another one that often will ring, ring bells with, with people familiar with the, with the gospel, Mammon, the god of wealth. And Epicurus was saying that these, these gods, these gods are no longer relevant to our society. They've, they've, they've not got a role to play. They've been pushed out to the periphery or locked in the attic, and so we don't need to worry about them so much anymore. They're not relevant. And this wasn't just the, the Roman gods. He was, he was suggesting that for the, the, the known world at that time, this was a general, um, a general attitude. And this, this approach... This philosophical approach to life, it moved on over centuries. And eventually when we got to the Enlightenment, this idea that we can find all the answers ourselves and we don't need God, it was sort of born out of the, the, the early attitude of Epicurus and, and his, his philosoph philosophical offerings that we don't need God anymore. But look at that list. We've got a god of war. Now, I put it to you that when you go to war, it's either to advance your interests, to take territory, to gain power, or to defend and to keep what you've got. So in today's world, I'd say that Mars, rather than being a god of war, would be more a god of power and status. Aphrodite, god of erotic love, yep, okay, and the mammon, the god of wealth. Can we really say that power and erotic love, lust, temptation, and our love of money, that those things actually have ever not been a major part of our society? Have these gods ever really been shut out? You see, the trouble is none of these can work in conjunction with Jesus. Jesus, as we know, he told us that we cannot worship two masters. We cannot worship both God and mammon. But also we cannot worship both God and Mars or God and Aphrodite. We cannot truly give ourselves to, to God. Maybe this is something of what Chris was saying in the comments if we're obsessed with power, or if we're a slave to erotic love, or if we're obsessed with money. Our society is still riddled, still obsessed with these three gods and others. We just don't call them by the Roman names anymore. And so what I want us to think about today, what's really been on my heart is the challenge of what brings us contentment? When do we get to the point where we say, I'm content with what I've got? 
Because if, if, we, if we find ourselves over-obsessed with any of these three gods, if we allow power and status to become a god, we can never have enough of it. We see that with, with power-hungry people who just want more and more and more. And the greed kicks in. And the self-obsession bubbles over and it's unhealthy and it's unattractive. We see... Marriages and families ripped apart by unhealthy relationships because lust has been allowed to take over. We're in a world that's full of, of single-parent families and children who, who, have, who have really suffered because, because someone's not been able to, to stay faithful to their partner. And it causes damage. And show me the person who says, I'm giving up work today because actually I've got all the money I need. I don't need any more. We never get to that point, do we? There's always a, an extra few quid to earn. There's always the next paycheck. More and more and more. We, we want it. We crave it. But in Philippians, Philippians 4, verse 11, Paul writes... I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. What a wonderful way to live life. I have learned to, live, to be content whatever the circumstances. But just, just, just note, Paul wasn't born that way. He's not always been one of these people who can just say, yeah, great, I don't need any more, I don't want any more. He's had to learn. This is a discipline. This is something we have to work at. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. This is a man, by the way, who is writing from a prison cell. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And so Paul makes a direct link there between contentment, whatever the circumstances, it's, his contentment is not linked to, to his, what, he, what he wants to have. He's not, it's not linked to how much money he's got. It's not linked to how well-fed he is. It's not linked to his, his job title or anything like that. This contentment is purely linked to the strength he takes through Jesus. That's where his contentment comes from. We read in that passage, there have been times where he's had plenty. Great. But that didn't make him any more or less content. There's been times where he's, he's had nothing. Okay. It doesn't make him any more or less content. Jesus was quite clear on this. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15... There's two brothers who are arguing. One says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replies, Who appointed me to be a judge or an arbiter between you? But then he goes on, he says, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. 
So it's, it's, this is sort of what Paul was getting at, isn't it? Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. That's not the purpose of life. That's not we're, what we're here for. That's not what we're made for, says Jesus. It's not about, it's not about gaining an abundance of possessions. That's just stuff. That's just things. And nice though they may be, they're never going to bring us contentment. They might bring a short-term burst of happiness, and that might last a, a few weeks. But true contentment doesn't come through an abundance of possessions. And Jesus recognized that if we, if we take the view that it does, then it can be a very destructive path. It's very easy for us to sort of posture and become a bit obsessed. We can use our love of the the three gods that I put up earlier, the three traditional Roman gods. I came across a great example of this when, when I, in my previous job. Um, I was socialising with, um, with an underwriter one day, and it was a, it was a sort of um, industry event, and I was talking to him, and he was in a process of trying to um, chat up an attractive young lady, um, so they say, I've, I've obviously only got eyes for one. <laughs> and he, was, he thought he was, he was charming. He thought he was doing really well. And he was talking about underwriting. Now, underwriting is insurance. Let's, let's, let's face it, insurance, it's not, you know, it's not the most interesting thing in the world, okay? But some people have this gift of just being able to make it sound a lot more interesting than it actually is. And he was standing at the bar... And he had this, this uh, pretty young thing in front of him, and he said, well, you know, what I do, it's, um, it's basically legalised gambling. And I thought, no, it's not. And I said to him, come off it, you're an underwriter in the insurance market. And he said, well, what makes you think it's not? And I said, well, first of all, gambling is legalised gambling. It's not illegal, unfortunately. It's, um, it's, 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 so you don't need to use that phrase. Secondly... Stop trying to make what you do sound really sexy and adventurous and cool and high risk. You sit at a desk, you have a pile of papers, you go through those papers, you go through all the figures and the facts, and then you decide how much money you can get away with charging a customer once you've made sure that you've pretty much written a policy that, get, that, that takes away any exposure that might lead to you having to pay out on a claim. God, dear, oh dear, don't make it try and sound all, all sexy and exciting. And... Um, yeah, <laughs> it took me a little while to, uh, to um, get him to write any more business for me after that. But, um, but it's, it's just, it's true, isn't it? We can, we can so easily, we can so easily find ourselves trying to dress up what we are. And often when we try and dress up what we are, we find that the clothing that we put on what we are is the clothing of the God of war, the God of power and status, the God of erotic love, and the God of, ma of, of wealth, mammon. And we know that if we do that, if we fall into that trap that the world tells us is, is sort of a, um, acceptable, we cannot serve both God and those things. And so as soon as we start doing that, we've stopped serving God. And we've taken the Epicurean approach of putting God up in the attic and shutting him away and pretending he's not there. And that's dangerous. And that's when, if we start doing that as, as, as followers of God, if we start doing that, then we definitely end up with a godly society. God's not gone anywhere, but we've, we've as a society, stopped acknowledging God, and it's dangerous. We mustn't make an idol 
of any of these things, any of the things around us. And it's not just, it's not just those three. There are, there are many, many others. Some people get obsessed with, with their race. We've seen the, 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 the ugly scenes in, in America, which led to the, 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 the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. We've seen how white supremacy is still, it's still bubbling away as an undercurrent, and it's very unhealthy, not just in America, in, in other countries as well. It's very unhealthy when people make an idol of their own appearance and others should look like me. And if they don't, then we need to, we need to, to, to make sure that we do something about that. And it's unsavory and it's wrong. Because when we... We might make an idol of, of territory, sort of nationalism, and we, we want to we put our borders, make sure our borders are enforced and we don't let anyone else in and... Well, there are people in the world that desperately need help. Can't we reach out? No, nope, we should shut our borders. Nope, because we're an island and rule Britannia and all that stuff. And yeah, I'm, you know, I'm proud of my country, but I'm proud of my country because we, we welcome people in who need help. Because I think it's the right thing to do. We shouldn't make an idol of our territory. We shouldn't make an idol of our identity. This is who I am, and if you're not like me, then if your identity is different, then that's it. I don't want to know. It's not, it's not a healthy way to live life. Instead, we need to be accepting. And these things, nothing out of any of these things, and there are others, should take center stage in our lives. Because if they take center stage, only one thing can be on that center stage, and it's got to be Jesus. It's got to be him. We cannot serve two masters. As soon as we begin to sort of make an idol of something, whether we become so obsessed with, with, our, with our earnings, how much money we can make and wanting more and more and more, or whether it's, whether it's overcome with, with lust and wanting to sleep around and have as many partners as we can, or whether it's status and, and going for the next, the next rung on the career ladder no matter what it costs, then th these things become idols. And, when you make an idol of something, you want to imitate it. You want, to, you want it to become a massive, massive part of your life so that, so that people look at you and see whatever that thing is. We would like them to look at us and see Jesus, but if they look at us and see our bank account, or if they look at us and see our physical beauty and not Jesus then we need to be careful that we haven't allowed those things to become an idol. Because if we make an idol out of something else, then we can only live for that thing. That thing becomes sort of isolated in our vision of life, in our picture of the world. We become very um, uh, blinkered in our, in our focus in, on life. We don't see the bigger picture. We don't see the damage we might be doing in relationships. We don't see the hurt we can cause. We become so fixed on that one thing. And so we end up isolating ourselves from others. We don't want to hear their input. We don't want to hear their wisdom. We don't want to hear them telling us that, that actually we've got this wrong and we need to check our priorities and get them sorted out. We want to shut out the voices and so we can isolate ourselves and we can become so focused on the, the, this new idol that, that it, 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 just, it means that we are isolated. It damages us and we damage others. But Jesus came into the world and, and New Testament theology paints a very, very different picture of the, of the, the idol that Jesus is. 
Because he's not, he's not an idol as we know it. He's an idol in the most positive sense. Because when we, when, we, when we follow Jesus and we try and imitate Jesus, suddenly if people look at us and see Jesus, what do they see? They see love, they see joy, they see grace, they see kindness, they see generosity, they see warmth. They see someone who wants to forgive them. They see someone who wants to embrace them. They see a, 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 an accessibility an outreach, someone who cares for them, modelling Jesus. If people look at us and see Jesus, it's such a strong thing. It's such a wonderful thing. Jesus doesn't allow himself to become sort of an, an isolated obsession. That's not what he intends. He tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. If you're, if you're obsessed with me, then, then look at me. I'm, I'm, obsessed, I'm obsessed with loving God. I'm obsessed with loving people. And the world's full of people. There's eight billion of them. Get out there and do it. Get out there and do it. Jesus never says that we, as a church or as individual Christians, are this secret little club that have this secret knowledge and we need to protect ourselves and build our walls. Jesus says, knock them down. Get out there. If Jesus is the, the idol at the middle of our lives, then we don't hurt those around us. We love them. We don't isolate ourselves from them. We want to hear from them. We want to engage with them and talk to them. We want to be the ones that make a difference to their lives, to love them. That's what it looks like when Jesus is the center of our being. Right back in... Right back in Exodus, we'll remember Exodus 20, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Why? Because if we're in Jesus, if we know God that closely, then our contentment doesn't come with looking around and saying, oh, I wish I had that car, oh, I wish I lived in that house, I wish I had that much money to be able to go and do that, I wish I could eat in that restaurant. No, those things are all lovely, but Jesus is our contentment. Our contentment is not linked to the accumulation of these things on earth. Our contentment is linked to Jesus. We read, we read in, in 1 Timothy, again, Paul writes... We brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul's writing from experience. He's seen this happen. He knows. He knows the danger and the damage that can be caused if we allow ourselves to link contentment with material gain, with material wealth. Paul says we brought nothing into the world and can take nothing out of it. Nothing at all. There is nothing that we can... There's nothing we can turn up to the door of heaven and say, look, God, I brought you a gift. And God's going to say, oh, wow, I've never, never had one of those before. Thanks. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says this. Do not love the world 
or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We don't conform to the world, but instead we encourage the world to see the goodness of conforming to God. And we model that in our lives. We model being content, being content with Jesus. So... As we begin this series, I want to make it clear, this is not a series that's going to make us feel guilty about having nice things. It's not going to make us feel bad about being successful in our careers or having ambition. That's not the point. But the point of this series is is making sure that we are clear that what we have is all very nice, but contentment in life comes from Jesus. And all of us can have Jesus. We cannot earn Jesus. We cannot buy Jesus. We can ask for Jesus. And Jesus gives himself to us. We can immerse ourselves in Jesus by reading the gospel message, by filling ourselves with his his grace and his presence. The world and its desires pass away but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Jesus himself came out with words which are relevant, so relevant, to a world which is plagued, or a country at least, which is plagued by people with with really awful mental health problems who struggle with anxiety and worry about things, especially in our schools now. The number of, of young children, we were having this conversation yesterday, I saw a few, a few uh, mates of mine, I was back in Essex for a day, and, and um, we, we, was, we were sitting around a table having a drink together, and it was really, really good, and, and we were talking, and someone said, you know what, my, my little girl, she's, I think, seven. And you know what she said to me the other day? I said, you all right? She said... Yes, Dad, I'm just really stressed. Seven years old. I didn't even know what stress was at the age of seven years old. I didn't have a clue. I'm still not sure I do, to be honest. (laughs) But seven years old, the word stress was a very natural word for her to use to describe her emotional state. Stress. Seven years old. And unfortunately, there are many like that who feel the pressure maybe to perform or or the pressure to be who who they're not or a pressure to achieve something they're not cut out to achieve. Jesus said, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
Jesus was well aware we need to eat, we need to drink, we need to clothe ourselves. We have bills to pay, we have obligations to keep. Yep, absolutely. I know, says Jesus. That's why I came to walk amongst you. That's why the Father sent the Son. I know. But before you worry about that, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. God will help you take care of them. But if we don't seek first the kingdom of God, then we get overcome, overrun by the worries, by the stresses, by the things in the world that we simply can't deal with. And there are things that we can't deal with, but God, God can. And so we must make sure that we seek him first in all that we do. That brings us the contentment that Paul writes about. And if we feel that sense of contentment, then whatever we gain or whatever we lose in life, we've still got Jesus. When we go through our highs and we celebrate and we're on top of the world, Jesus is there. And when we hit the trough and we're at rock bottom and we're feeling empty and desperate, Jesus is still there. That's how we can feel the the joy in all circumstances. If we seek first the kingdom of God. So that's just kind of a way of setting us up. We're all starting now from the same same point. The understanding that that whatever we do with with our money, however we use our status... As long as we do it through the lens of Jesus, as long as the, those things are focused through the lens of Jesus, so long as everything that we do is, is governed, is governed by the word of God and through prayer and through applying that prayer and applying ourselves to, to seeking the answers to prayer, by, by seeking God's will in our lives, by talking to him, by confessing to him, by sharing everything with him, If we do that, we won't be living in a godly society. We'll be living in a society which is very much full of God. There are a couple of billion Christians in the world. And so I don't accept that we live in a godless society. But we must make sure, we must make sure that as Christians we keep God. And I'm talking to myself here as much as anybody in this room, that we keep God absolutely central. The only idol that we worship is the idol of Jesus and as we've established this morning that is the best possible idol that we can worship because he is the living God. He's not, a, a, he's not an idol. He's so much more than that. He was the son of God sent into this world to save us from our sin. Sent in this world to, to stop the spread of those negative things that we, we read about earlier, that we heard about earlier in the sermon. Jesus has got to be the sole source of contentment in our lives. And if we can achieve that, then our relationship with him is secure and it's healthy and it's glorious. So as we go about our week, I just wonder if I just wonder if maybe we can use this week as a 
Just a time of stepping back and considering our priorities in life, considering the things that bring us stress, the things that really take out our focus. And there will be things, because life is busy, I get that. But how can we bring God into those situations? How can we say, Jesus, I don't know what to do here, or Jesus, I'm giving this to you. I'm, I'm going to make a decision because I believe this is right by you. How can, we, how can we build our relationship, build Jesus into those things? And let's not have any rooms. In, if we think of our, our existence as a house, let's not have any rooms that when Jesus comes knocking on the door, we say, oh, actually, not that one. No, 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 I've, I've prepared this one for you. This is the one with all the, the nice bits of me. Um, that, you don't want to go in there. That's a, that's a mess. We need to let Jesus into our mess. Because only Jesus can sort it out. And he'd love to. He'd love to do that. So I'm going to leave that with you to decide what that looks like in your life. And I'm going to take it away myself and decide what that looks like in my life. And hopefully by doing this, we will all come closer to the wonderful never-ending love of God. Let's pray. Father God, sometimes it's so challenging to live in a world that is so opposing to the values that you want us to live by. But Lord, we thank you that you've called us to have the responsibility to represent you, to live for you, to be the ones that uphold your values and your goodness. Father, we thank you that you've given us the things we need to be equipped with in order to do that. But we pray, Lord, that as we, as we go away um, later on, after we've spent some fellowship time together and we, we have those quiet moments this week, Father, I, I pray that we can all just spend that time with you just reassessing, stepping back and thinking, is there anything in my life that I've kind of been focusing on so much that I've not allowed Jesus to be my source of contentment? Is there anything in my life that, is, that I'm not content with? Lord, bless us as we go through that process. Help us to Help us to do that honestly and openly. And as we do that, Lord, we pray that we will see a true infilling of your spirit in our hearts, that you will really meet with us and bless us. And that through that process, we will grow closer to you and deeper in our love and our relationship with you. So, Father, we give ourselves to you. We are your children. And we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.